Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Mercatus's very own podcast, Digital Grocer, episode 27 here at NRF 2020. I'm Savannah Perry, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies, and joining me is Mark Fairhurst, Senior Director of Marketing. How many shows have we done at NRF? This is like uh, the, the fourth. fourth That's the fourth one. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, welcome. So I had the chance to kind of walk around NRF, and you know, I was hoping to see an emerging theme, something that was that would give clarity to where the industry is heading in retail. And I hate to say it, it's it's a bit of a hodgepodge. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be a rehashing of technology. I was upstairs in the innovation lab, and you know, at Mercatus, our genesis was really building out a computer and a shopping cart. Mm-hmm. And I spent millions of dollars building out this technology. And I wouldn't say, I didn't say at the time, we thought, we didn't think it was a solution looking for a problem. But we cut off that technology when Apple released, you know, not just the iPhone, but the whole notion of an ecosystem. Right, right. And, you know, I'm all for entrepreneurs and new startups, but I walk in the innovation lab and there's a company that actually has the same solution available to market. And I started asking them questions. So you did develop 10, 12 years ago? Right, 10 to 12 years ago, we still have all the IP and all, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. So. I saw a lot of robotics, but no one has a clear understanding of what it takes to support robots in an environment consistently to be able to deliver. So I think that becomes a bit of a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping if I spend a little bit more time on the bottom floor and I kind of walk around, I'll be able to see something. But nonetheless, it's still a very exciting show. Yeah. It's probably record setting in terms of the number of people. It's been, that it's been consistently busy. Let me ask, did you see anything you thought was innovative? No. Okay. I think there's still the conversation around how AI is going to transform everything, but no one's solving the data problem. I'm not seeing anyone that's doing any practical application of AI in the hands of the consumer. It's still very much back office implementation. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not feeling it. You know, that's unfortunate. And I think it's still these, I hate to say it, but it's, it's very much these silos that no one's talking about how to unify and bring together to present something consistent out and putting the consumer at the center of the experience. Yeah, we talked about that on the last episode about exactly. customer centricity and yeah. how critical it is and yet so few retailers are actually embracing it. Yeah. Well, no one's going to catch up to Walmart or Amazon and have a hope in doing anything if unless you have this unified strategy of being able to bring these pieces together. Right. Yeah. That's the challenge. But you know, we're not the experts at this no. at all. Nope. So we have an expert joining us today uh, on our podcast. And on disclosure, he is a client of Mercatus's and a, a trusted partner at that. His name is Ed Wong, and he's the executive VP and chief digital officer at Smart and Final. He leads not only digital commerce, but IT and marketing. He has over 25 years of experience. And interestingly enough, prior to joining Smart and Final, Ed actually spent six years with IBM as a partner in its global business services division, both the U.S. and Japan. He also spent time at Charleroi's Holdings, where he took on several supply chain and IT roles before being promoted to Chief Operating Officer. Ed, thank you for the show. Great to be here. Welcome. So, Ed, you and I have worked together now for the better part of, of a year. It's been over a year, quite frankly. Talk to us about when you decided to set on this journey of digital commerce at Smart and Final. What did you really want to achieve? Well, we obviously uh, started with a, I would call it, somewhat of a strategic outline. Uh, Mm -hmm. We wanted to approach digital commerce in a more comprehensive way with multiple components of approaches 
And one of those included printing our banner site mm -hmm. and what we wanted to do to elevate our customer experience. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we definitely didn't feel that we had a very robust platform, uh, not just to deliver the experience that we would want as customers interact with our brand through online, interactions, but also at the same time in terms of the integration with in-store POS relative to, I guess, uh, the cross-channel component, and at the same time in terms of the third-party service-providing partners in fulfilling the end-to-end -end commerce experience. So that kind of, I would say, requirement to control how we would want the customer experience to be and be able to select a partner who's gonna be able to say, well, we've been there and done that, mm -hmm. versus, let's say, engaging with one of the more legacy platforms where they would still need to configure and learn how to really adapt into grocery right. uh, had been some of the initial requirements that we started with. Yeah, and I will tell you, a challenging project we did an integration into a new POS system, delivery partner, two delivery partners, a bunch of things. We actually wrapped it up in, well, we didn't wrap it up, but we got something to market in record time, which was great. When you look out, you've worked with apparel retailers, not just grocery, you've been kind of all over in, in retail. When you look out in the landscape and you think of digital engagement and commerce, who do you think is, is a beacon in the space? I think it's hard to say because different segments within retail tend to carry their own set of customer experience wish list, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. I think that for grocery, convenience, speed is really going to be paramount mm -hmm. um, to a great extent. Mm -hmm. So what we wanted to do was to be able to include a lot of the grocery-specific functionalities that our customers would expect. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned before, out of the box, that's available. Right. Now, one component that we have some complexity is that we don't just have household customers, we also have large order business customers. Mm -hmm. So in order to satisfy both, mm -hmm. we just need to ensure that we've got an open platform where we've got the ability and flexibility right. in working with the Mercatus team to fill in the blanks right. and address the gaps. And those challenges I think would be a lot more challenging to have another service provider or solution provider mm -hmm. um, to be able to resolve. Yeah, I would agree. You know, the one thing, Mark, that we, that Ed challenged us on, mm -hmm. and I think most companies, you have to be able to self-reflect and you have to be humble and you have to be open to this. Ed took our designs to Forrester Research right. to actually measure them against other retailers in the space. I remember the reaction in our UX team when I said, hey, I just want to let you guys know there's a decision coming down from the top at Smart and Final from Ed Wong. He wants to have an impartial third party kind of bless the designs. I think they freaked out. They're like, well, what does this mean? I said, well, the beauties about this is you get to learn. So if you're getting it right, great, kudos for you. But if you're not, take the opportunity to learn. And, and that is a practice, and I want to say thank you to Ed, because that is a practice we've actually taken to some of our net new clients. Yeah. And it actually also scares some of those retailers in saying, because they provide guidance during the design phase, and they may not you know, be comfortable in having, a, again, an impartial third party point certain things out. Yeah. Is that something that you've done in the past, Ed, you know, have the, that impartial view? Yeah, I think it's kind of not drinking your own Kool-Aid uh, right. as much as possible. <laughs> I, I think for sure 
to your point, I mean, internally, our business teams and our customer management teams, they have really heightened awareness of mm -hmm. what it is that they would want to project right. to the customers of ours. Right. But that's a very inside-out perspective. Yeah. What I think we need to do is do an outside-in, and when you combine the two, right. you'll get a lot of validation exercises right. that you can go through. Right. And as you mentioned, we certainly did that initially before yeah. we went into configuration. We're actually doing a round two Forrester that would be upcoming. Yeah. I think that provides us with a combination of, like I mentioned, broad-based perspective that's yeah. objectified to a great extent. Right. right. And the great thing about yeah. it, it pushes us to be better at the same time. Well. And I think the one thing we underestimated as a business, you know, when you think of B2B, the first thing that we go as a technology company is say, oh, well, it's a reduced set of features and functionality. Well, that's really, yes, that is the, the material case, but the reality is from a user experience perspective, it's a different type of user. They're not going to sit in the back of a restaurant searching for products they likely buy the same things because they have a set menu maybe for a season. So they may be buying the same products every two weeks. And in your world, when you look at this, I mean, the cart must be significantly larger on a B2B perspective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, our current experience is that it's seven to eight times higher yeah. uh, than what we're transacting online. So I think that capability that would come along as kind of must-haves, mm -hmm. to your point, are definitely very different. I mean, you know, just the ability to handle purchase orders, right. that's something that a household customer most likely will never need to invoke. Right. Uh, but it's very much a must-have yeah. relative to the business customer. Yeah, well, we had to immerse ourselves with our friends over at KPMG on tax exemption doing the integration with Avalara and understanding what does it mean in capturing the tax exemption certificates, making sure that Smart and Final is compliant in case of an audit and so on and those things. And, and it's an entirely different world. Yeah. You know, but even if I look at Hybris from the SAP perspective and what they do from a B2B perspective, we were kind of miles apart. We and I talked about this at one point. I think the industry has swung the pendulum so far into the world of B2C, they for, have forgotten the businesses and the value add that they can bring. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. So, Ed, you've gone through this journey with Mercatus and, you know, over 25 years of experience. If you were to advise a retailer that's thinking about getting into the realm of digital commerce or switching platforms, what would you share with them? I think for sure, like most other things, just have some strategic framework in place. I don't mm -hmm. think it needs to be studied to death where all the components are detailed. Mm -hmm. But certainly, I think that it's fundamentally a business strategy in terms of how to engage the customer through online. Mm -hmm. So I think if you start from there and understand, well, what are the permutations of how you would want to do that mm -hmm. engagement and what would you deliver that engagement with mm -hmm. in terms of the capabilities that you would want out of the solution. Right. I think even before Mercatus or any branded piece of software comes into play, as long as someone has that strategic framework, it will help provide that kind of guiding light mm -hmm. in terms of how to differentiate when competing options are available on the table. And I think that for us anyway, as I mentioned, I mean, we had a very specific objective in mind in terms of what we wanted to do. We were operating under Instacart's powered by Instacart white label platform. Mm -hmm. And certainly I think as the evolution of not just 
us, but also Instacart and the marketplace. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was deemed appropriate for us to consider how to have a better control over our own brand experience right. that we will want to maximize. And right. certainly, I think in working with Mercatus, not that Mercatus was the only available solution provider in the marketplace. We tested and validated another two before we ended up with decision with partnering with Mercatus. Mm -hmm. And I think things have, as you said, turned out really well. Right. I think overall from my prior experience, it's not an easy delivery program, no. but at the same time, we got it done in a very, very short period of time, roughly 10 months or so. Yeah. So I think talking earlier about the speed to value and mm -hmm. I don't think that it's even a case where you finish something in 10 months and end up kind of washing your hands and be done. I think that gets us to where we need it to be and then we can have a really solid foundation to evolve yeah, and further drive our experience from. So I think it's been a terrific experience. And from your perspective, when we interview retailers, you know, the one thing they cite is Walmart and Amazon and, you know, their size and their ability to innovate. I can't think of one time those words have come up in our conversations. I mean, do they keep you up at night? Not really. I just think that there is a high degree of awareness that anyone in retail mm -hmm. should have mm -hmm. as far as what's happening in these fairly large monolithic companies. Mm -hmm. But I think that trying to keep up with the Joneses certainly is not a strategy that's effective. And I think that we should learn from what they're doing right. and where they're placing their bets and evaluating what the outcome might be. Because those are occasions where we don't have to do the test and learn right. to the extent that, let's say, the Walmart or the Kroger's of the world might be doing. Right. And I think that no matter what, grocery is a bit different from, let's say, apparel or general merchandise. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a certain degree of... I call it the landlocking of the customer. Right. Primarily, the business in and of itself is so brick and mortar in mm -hmm. grain to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I think that as we provide, as the customers evolve, even they were very heavily driven by brick and mortar, the options of buying online, the degree of convenience that we would want to offer and the mm -hmm. speed of checkout become paramount. I think that those are definitely competitive areas that just because of the size and scale of Walmart or Kroger, they don't actually have really a, a solid certainty to right. be able to win across right. the board. Right. So I think that from that perspective, we're obviously very aware of what they're doing, but I think it's more as validation checkpoints. The one advantage that we have is in our integration with Smart and Final, we have one of the only really truly frictionless checkout processes, right? Where we have two different delivery partners, T-Force and Shipped. The moment they're done the picking, there's no rescanning of the order at a POS, at a terminal inside the store. That information is automatically sent down through Mercatus into the GKPOS system and then back through for final charging of the credit card, which is phenomenal, which from an operational perspective lessens the whole labor burden. Sure. And I remember that being a key requirement yeah. at the onset you know, through our design phase, which is amazing. Ed, you've spent some time traveling the world. You've worked in Japan. We don't talk as North Americans about the Japanese influence on technology or what we're doing from an e-commerce perspective. Are you seeing some of that bleed in or is it more still, we still look to Europe? I would say probably more towards the uh, Western side of the globe more mm -hmm. than anything else. Mm -hmm. I think that if I look at what's happening in the UK, 
and some of the grocers there, comparatively speaking to, let's say, what's happening in the C-Store and also in grocers, in grocery in Japan, mm-hmm. I would say we're certainly more similar to the West than we are to the East. Okay. That's kind of interesting because we, I can't think of one case where we've had someone from Japan or Korea. I've interacted with cold storage out of Singapore once, and they were trying to do some stuff with e-commerce, but... Yeah, we've had a couple of inquiries from the state of the Philippines. Like oh, we did actually. Yes. Uh, yeah. The company is actually owned by Lee Kuan Yew out of his yeah. family out of, out of Hong Kong. And mm-hmm. they're kind of interesting because they have these very high-end apparel stores. And they also own integrated grocery. And they're actually trying to solve for both. And we got into this interesting conversation about marketplaces. Mm-hmm. And Ed and you and I have talked about this in this whole notion of the reverse Amazon business model. If, if you have the eyeballs, does it not make sense to enable them to buy more than just grocery? And what do you see as being the operational challenges of getting a marketplace up and running, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I think it's just the business team's bandwidth and ability to manage because our um, stores are a bit constrained with space. Mm-hmm. We have obviously a lot more expansion of assortment that are very adjacent to our core product set mm-hmm. that we can do. Mm-hmm. And some are actually very bulky considering the business customers that I was talking about. Right. So I think those lend themselves so well to being digital only. And I think that that also is another advantage that we potentially can leverage the Mercatus platform on providing our business customers. So Ed, if you look at your crystal ball, and I'm only assuming you have one, 2020, and you look at the landscape of the industry, what do you think the space is going into? What do you think is going to emerge? Or are there any trends that you're spotting? I think on the whole, to your point earlier about AI, I think that there is still a lot of resistance, let's say, Mm -hmm. from retailers who are very much focused on, obviously, the customer experience Mm -hmm. being very behavioral Mm -hmm. and service-oriented, and how could a machine be able to enter into that space and deliver the necessary Mm -hmm. uh, value that a customer would expect. Mm -hmm. But I think that given time, there's probably a lot that the machine learning and AI Right. can help elevate customer experience. Whether it comes by way of in-stock improvement mm-hmm. or whether it comes by way of shortening delivery time, mm-hmm. whether it comes by way of interacting online with suggested sell, mm-hmm. cross-sell, upsell, mm-hmm. that makes the experience much more satisfactory. Mm-hmm. I think there's so many things that uh, leveraging the science aspect of it that we can do to retail. I would say that probably is definitely one. I think the The other one is the cost to serve. I think for grocery particularly, the cost to serve is very high Mm -hmm. because of perishable product, because of the bulkiness of the goods. You can't really leverage partial delivery and so on. I think if we can have some way of cracking that code on reducing the cost to serve, um, I think that would be another thing that we would want to work on. That's great. Ed, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the invite. Thank you. And Mark, how do people get a hold of us? Go to the website, www.mercatus.com. Thank you, folks. And don't forget to tune in to our next episode that will be recorded here at NRF. Yep. And I'm sure, who's our next guest, Mark? You're putting me on the spot right now. <laughs> it's a toss-up. It, it will be someone just as compelling as it. I doubt Maybe. that. Maybe. I doubt <laughs> that. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. We'll aim for it. Thanks, folks. Thank you.